Uh, well, guys, uh, there are three things I want to share with you as we kind of enter into this new study. And, uh, man, the first one is just going to be foundational. This is kind of the foundational truth that's going to guide our entire time together in, in the Word. Of, and it's a little surprising, but, but it is true. And so I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Here's our first point this morning. I want you to know that the valleys of life are part of God's good plan. Uh, that the valleys of life are part of God's good plan. And, and so what I want to do is, is we're going we're gonna to spend some time in Deuteronomy 11. We're going we're gonna to really study verse 8 through 11. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to follow along. But I've broken it up into two slides. And, and what we're going to be looking at is Moses is talking to the people of God before they enter the promised land, right? And, and so they're, they're on the edge of the promised land. Uh, he's saying this is what God has for us. And, and so he's laying out God's good plan for the people of God, right? That's, that's what he's laying out. So I just want you, let's look at these instructions together. And so here's what he says in Deuteronomy 11, uh, verse 8 and 9, uh, we've got on the screen. He, he says, uh, keep every command I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to cross into and possess the land you are to inherit. And so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now I want you to notice the emphasis on the end of that sentence. I've, I've put it in bold there. Uh, it, it's kind of the picture in picture there on your screen. And, and that's how we think of the promised land, right? I mean, if somebody's going to ask you, hey, describe the promised land, we typically tend to describe the promised land as, well, it, it, it's the land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's how God describes it. But here's the deal. If you read on the very next two verses, uh, kind of tell us something that, that's surprising about this promised land. And here is what the Word of God says in verse 9 and 10. For the land that you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and you irrigated by hand as in a vegetable garden. Ready? Uh, again, I've added the emphasis. I just bolded this for you so you could pay attention. It says, but the land you are entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys. But the land that you are entering to possess is a land of mountains and, and valleys. Now, uh, it's going to go on and say, which is, which is fed by the rain from above. And, and listen, guys, I, I don't know about you, but that, that catches me off guard. Right? Because when I think of the promised land, and, and listen, the promised land, it, it's a big deal. The promised land is, is, it was a real place, right? But it's also a symbol of what's to come in our life in Christ. And so the promised land, which is described as a land flowing with milk and honey, that's abundant fruit, is, is a symbol of the life that we can have in, in Jesus Christ, right? In fact, that's what Jesus says in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill, uh, but I have come that you uh, might have life and you might have it in abundance. And so here's what I'm going to say to you. I, I think it's, it's, it could be transformational in our walk with Christ. And, and this is it, ready? Is, is that the promised land, that promised life in Christ, the abundant life, the abundant life includes valleys, right? And, and I think for far too long as followers of Jesus, we have thought that uh, really following Christ and, and being a Christian, it was all mountaintop living. And, and so I think, I think we, we have often taken upon ourselves maybe some guilt and some shame that when we're in the valleys of life, we, we feel like all is off, that it's not right, that, it, that, that somehow we're out of God's will. And this is what I'm saying to you this morning. That's not the case, right? So, so the, the, the good plan of God includes valleys. 
Friends, that means that the abundant life includes valleys. Just let that sink in for a second. Now, now with that as kind of our banner truth, um, I'm going to share the second point with you. And before we get there, I want you to understand that based on the first point, you're going to think that this second point is nuts, that somehow these don't go together. But, but these two truths uh, are not uh, mutually exclusive. So I want you to see this. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Ready? That we must be prepared for the problems that lie and wait for us in the valleys of life. We must be prepared for the problems that lie and wait for us in the valleys of life. And so we begin with this truth that the valleys of life are part of God's good plan, but then we kind of end up here that part of that good plan includes evidently some problems. And so again, we're walking through the story of the people of God, the Israelites, as they're going to enter into the land. And so Moses begins to give some instructions. And he's going to send 12 spies into the land, he's going to say, hey, I want you to go into the land, uh, into the promised land. And, uh, and, and listen, this is what the Bible says in Numbers 13 about the experience of the spies in, in the promised land. Ready? It says, when they came to uh, Eshol Valley, notice valley, right? So, so the promised land is the land of mountains and valleys. So when they came to the valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and some figs. And so, so like, let's just get that mental picture for a second. So they come into the valley. God, God said, listen, listen, you're going to enter into the valley, and it's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's a land of abundant fruit. Man, they get into the valley, and they're like, whoa. And, and so one cluster of grapes so big that they have to put it on a pole. And so they're like, yeah, man, that, that's accurate, right? And, and, and so listen, the rest of this study, man, the coming weeks, I cannot wait to get into it with you. We're going to talk about the abundance that we actually find in the valley, not, not just on the mountaintop, but how God intends these valleys to, to produce great fruit in us, and I can't wait for that. Uh, but, but listen, that's not all they find. So, so, so yes, it, it is a, a place of great fruit, but let's, let's read on, because the spies come back, and here's what else they say about this valley. It says, however, the people living in the land are strong. And the cities are large and fortified. We, we also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of Negev. And the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. And so in other words, here's, here's what the spies are going. Man, man listen, the valley is, is productive. Man, the valley is full of abundant life and fruit. But, man, the enemy also resides in the valley. Right? The enemy also resides in the valley, and guess what? Their report is, and, and they're big. They're big. And so what I'm telling you is, listen, that the valley is part of God's good plan for our life. Okay? But in the valley, we're going to face big, big problems. And, and not only does the enemy reside there, listen, it's, it's in that valley that the enemy often lies in wait ready to attack. And so let's look at some of the, some of the great you know, battles that we, we find there. So this is the story of, of David and Goliath. Perhaps you remember this. It's from 1 Samuel 17, 2 and 3. It says, Saul and the men of Israel gathered and they camped in the valley of Elah. And they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. You know what that word ravine means? Valley. Valley. And so what does David do? Eventually, he runs into the valley 
where he faces that giant, Goliath. That happens in, in the valley. We, we see the same thing when, when Gideon goes to war with the Midianites. When he goes to battle with the Midianites, here's what the word of the Lord says. Uh, it says, Gideon and all the troops who were with them got up early and they camped beside the spring of Herod. The, the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Morah. And where is it? It's in the valley. It's in the valley. And so guys, here's what I'm trying to tell you is, is listen, man, the valley is part of God's good plan for our life, but that valley is a place where big problems are, 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 are present. And so because of that, because there's going to be battles there, man, we have to get dressed. And we'll talk about that in a second. We've got to be ready for the battles that happen in the valley, which is going to bring me to my third point. Listen, because there are battles in life, Right? Because there are battles in the valley, I just want you to know you're going to win some of those and you're going to lose some of those, but God uses all of those. So here's our third point. Ready? Is that we learn from and are shaped by both our victories and our defeats in the valley of life. Let me say that again. Um, we learn from and are shaped by both our victories and our defeats in the valleys of life. So the, the majority of the battles that Joshua is going to face in the promised land. You remember Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, so when Joshua crosses over and they begin to do battle, the majority of those battles happen in the valley, right? And, and, and so there's great victories that happen in the valley. I, I think about Jericho, and think about all that the people of God learned in, in Jericho. They learned that God was with them. They learned that God was for them. They learned that, that God would fight for them. That's, that's huge, right? And they learned God is the God who, who, who will fight for me. I mean, they, they didn't even have to raise a sword, and God delivered the city to them. And so they learned some great lessons about God, but, but then follow that up with the defeat at Ai, right? Which we would pronounce... Uh, a ya or, or just I, but there's great defeat there initially when they didn't obey God. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Listen, both that victory and that defeat were formative in the life of the Israelites. See, we learn from our victories and our defeats in the valley. In fact, I shared with the staff this week, one of the most formative moments of my life uh, as a parent, actually came in, in one of my, my, my worst moments of my life. I was 13 or 14, I can't remember the exact age. And uh, at that point, my, my father, uh, who uh, had left when I was about a year old and, and, uh, and, and got remarried, at that point, he was considering a divorce from his second wife, and he had actually moved back home with us. He'd moved back home with us. And so, uh, man, if you're a kid that comes through from one of those homes, you just know that's kind of like a dream in the back of your head that somehow your family will get back together. And so my dad was, was living back at home. My mom and dad were together. I was like, oh my gosh, life is great. And I'll never forget, um, one day, uh, my dad was, was driving me towards the house on 528 uh, near our house. And uh, he said, son, I need to tell you something. Uh, my wife, uh, she, she found the money that I had hid. And if I get a divorce, it's just going to cost too much. He said, you understand, don't you? And of course, 13, 14-year-old, no, no, I don't. I don't understand. And I remember pulling up into my driveway, and after he left, I didn't go inside. Instead, I ran down to the end of the street. I sat by the stop sign, just kind of above the sewer, and I just wept. And the, the, that deep pain and that hurt. And, uh, and listen, but something transformative happened there in that hurt. See, it was in that moment that I swore to myself that I would never be that way with my children. 
And so a huge part of who I am, uh, and, and maybe too much, is, is, is listen, I, I, I'm going to be there with my kids. I, I, if you ask my kids, they'd say one thing that I do is I play with them like every day. <laughs> it, probably too much to the fact that I feel like they can't go play outside by themselves. But, but listen, I'll, I'll err there. And, and, and one of those greatest hurts of my life was actually one of the most transformative things. Listen, God can take the good and the bad and He can use it to transform us. Okay? And so the valleys are really, really important. So what do we do? What do we do? I, I want to share some things with you. Here's the first thing I think we do because of this message. First and foremost, I think we need to trust God to use our time in the valley. I think we need to trust God to use our time in the valley. And so, uh, listen, we have this tendency, like I said, to think that it, 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 if we're not on the mountaintop, that something's wrong or that God's not with us or that God's not working. And uh, so uh, a few of us on, on staff have this book by Paul David Tripp. It's, it's called New Morning Mercies, and it's kind of a daily devotional. And, and on August 12th, he had, he had this to say. Uh, he said, I'm convinced that many of us need to take in or return to the worldview that's presented to us in the book of Daniel. He says, Daniel's world is a world of trouble, right? It's a world of injustice, oppression, idolatry, danger, political corruption, war, and various kinds of trouble, but it is not a world that is out of control. In fact, in the face of all the trouble, Daniel presents to us the very opposite of what we would tend to think if we were to assess his world. Daniel presents to us a world that in every way, at every point, is under the control of one who is powerful and wise and who holds the events of human history in the palms of his hands. Events happen according to his plan. History moves according to his will. Individuals' lives are shaped by his purpose. It is a world under rule. Consider these words. He is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall, uh, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he closes by saying this. He says, many things in your life are out of control. Amen? Amen, right? As you sit at home and you can't be here, and if you were here, you'd have to wear a mask, and you've got to stay six feet away, and you can't hug anybody. You're going, I hate this. This is out of control. He says, many things in your life are out of control. You face many things that make you feel unprepared, small, or weak, but you must not give way to thinking that life is out of control. You need to remind yourself of the truth that Daniel confronts us all with, that over all the trouble that confounds and dismays us is a God of glorious wisdom, power, and grace who rules every moment of every situation. No, you will not always see His hand. You often won't understand what He is doing. There will be points in life when uh, it won't make sense to you. At times, you will wish that life could be different. There will be moments when you will feel unprepared for what is on your plate. In these moments, look up and remember that above it all, there is a throne. And on it sits a God of unimaginable majesty, ruling all for His glory and for your good. Amen? That's what I'm telling you, church. I, I know some of you, because I'm one of you, is going, Lord, I don't like this. I, mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this isolation, I feel. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm stuck and, and it's out of my control and I can't do anything about it and I don't have the answers. And, and, and you're going, man, I don't like it. And, and you're, a, you're, you're thinking that somehow God's not in it. Well, two things. One, 
He never leaves us or forsakes us, so he is in it. And two, he is sovereign, which means not only is he in it, but he is also over it. And so what we have to do is realize this great truth is that the valleys of life are part of God's ready, good plan. And so I'm asking you during this season when you, you, you want to have answers and you want to know what to do and what it's going to lie, what to will tomorrow hold, trust that God is at work. All right, so that's the first thing. Number two, number two. I want you to be on high alert, dressed for battle. Be on high alert, dressed for battle. So the, the enemy is camping out in the valley, right? That's, that's what he does. The enemy camps out, and, uh, and that, that's true, okay? And, and so because the enemy is, is in the battle, uh, or is camping out in the valley, what we need to do, we've got to be dressed, we've got to be ready. So, so the, the valley's part of God's good plan, but there's big problems there. The enemy camps there, he's lying in wait, and, and, and we know this about the Bible, he, he, or about uh, the enemy, he, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and so listen, because the enemy lies in wait in the valley, and there's great things in the valley, and God wants to use the problems of life, but, but listen, we have to get dressed on a regular basis. We have to be ready. And so here's what happens in the valley. This is what we often feel. We often feel stress, anxiety, helplessness, loneliness, isolation, and anger. You could probably add a few to that. And guess what? All those things are triggers for sinful behavior, right? When, when we feel those emotions, we have a tendency to try to deal with them in ways that are not Christ-like. And, and I, I listen... Uh, to a video of a pastor speaking to other pastors, and one of the things he said is, during this season especially, because all the isolation you feel, right? Because there's not a good decision you can make, because you don't have all the answers, because no matter what you decide, people will be against you, because people say, I want to meet in person, and you open the doors, and and a third of them show up, and he's like, it's depressing, and he was talking about, you know, they they were a big church, he says, man, we, we seat so many thousand people, and when there's only a couple hundred, there's no energy in the room, and that weighs on you too, and he just kind of went through all these things, and listen, that kind of isolation, that kind of anxiety, that kind of stress, man, all those things are triggers for sinful behavior. And so, so friends, the same is true in, in your own life. And the isolation that you sense and, and maybe some trauma that you've gone through and, and I mean, you name it, all those things are triggers for sin patterns and we have to know that when we're in the valley, the enemy is lying in wait. He's camping there. And, it's, it, and it doesn't mean that the valley's bad. And, in fact, there's some victories that God wants to bring in your life uh, if you allow him. And, and, and you know what? There's some lessons he wants to teach you from when you fail, Okay. So we've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared. Get dressed. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And so we definitely want to do that. And the last thing I would share with you guys, uh, I, I think application-wise, is simply this. Uh, we have to put our hope in the God who can work the victories and defeats of our life for good. We have to put our hope in the God who can work the victories and defeats of our life for good. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Uh, listen, it's, it's not that God wants you to fail. It's not that God wants you to lose. It's just that he knows from time to time you will. Right? That's why he sent his son Jesus, because we can't do it on our own. Right? Uh, what, what he tried to teach the children of Israel was that God would have to fight for them and that when they tried to fight out of their own wisdom and out of their own strength, we get to AI, right, that they're going to lose. But guess what? The victories 
and the defeats were both formative. We learn from them all. And, and, and that's really the heart of Romans 8.28, right? When God says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so what I want to tell you this morning, especially if, if maybe you've experienced defeat lately. See, that defeat always comes with a sense of shame, doesn't it? A sense of guilt. Man, I blew it. I blew it. It's my fault. And you know what it is? That's true. Okay? But here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't take on all that guilt and say, it's my fault, I have to do better. Right? Because that's not the answer. The answer is, God, I can't do it without you. I'm going to, instead, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to march when you tell me to march. I'm going to praise when you tell me to praise. I'm going to shout when you tell me to shout. I'm going to let you bring down these walls in my life. Right? That's the answer. And so my hope for you church, is that you would allow God to use both the good and the bad in your life, that you would know that some of the worst failures and the worst hurts can be some of the most formative, positive experiences in your life if you let God use them. And I pray that you would. I pray that you would. Church, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. But I know that when I pray for us, you guys have a tendency to turn off the TV screen. So I'm not going to do that quite yet. Uh, instead, I want to answer a question that many people have. And that question is, when are we meeting together in person? And when they say that, what they really mean is not just when can we meet together in person, but when can we meet together in person without a mask and hug each other? And here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. Our deacons just met last week and, and uh, what we're doing is instead of kind of basing stuff on feeling or even case numbers, we've identified a metric uh, that's tied to uh, the hospitalizations in our area and so we've kind of got something we're using as a guide and uh, those numbers have come down quite a bit. We're excited about kind of the trend um, but, but we're still waiting and there's some big things on the horizon and so uh, if you'll just be patient with us please until we can all gather uh, together together uh, all of us together, um, we ask that you do that. But here's the thing. I want to show you a really cool picture. That doesn't mean that you can't do anything. And so this is a cool picture. This is one of our groups. Uh, and, uh, and, and listen, they had house church last week. And so this is not a whole small group. I need to tell you that. It's not a whole small group. This is part of a group. And so this is only uh, one, two, three. It's only about four families. There's a couple individuals there. And uh, so they met together. Never. Uh, they, they, these are people that have already done life together without masks. And, uh, and that's something they're comfortable with. So they've already been around each other without masks. And so they decided, you know what, since we've already been doing some things, um, then, uh, then let's, let's do this together. And frankly, you can go back to me for a second. And so, uh, so here's, here's what I'm going to tell you, is if that's you, then, then try it, right? I mean, if, if you've got a small group of people. Now, when we say small, I don't mean your small group. Many of our small groups have 20 people in them, okay? And, and so maybe, maybe not that. But, but if you've got um, two or three or maybe four families that you already do life with and you're around and, and you're in the same circle and, and you're, you're already around them, not wearing masks, and that's something you want to do, you want to worship with them on Sunday, try it. What they did is they met and they had, a, they had breakfast, they had a little breakfast, and then they did small group. Kids went upstairs, and then uh, not only did they worship, but after the kids went upstairs, then they jumped into the discussion points, and they had small group together. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, I've got some small groups that starting, I think, this week are, are going to meet via Zoom. They're not there yet. Uh, they're not all in the same circles. They're not comfortable being in a room without masks. And, and so we're not asking them to do that, but they're going to meet via Zoom, and they're going to talk about uh, some of the things that we talk about and see how people are. And, and, and what we want to encourage you to do is you don't have to live in isolation during this time. If there are some people in your life that you are already spending time with, then, then go for it, man. Go for it. But 
If that's not the case, don't. Right? If that's not the case and there's nobody in your life that you're already kind of doing that with, then, then just meet via Zoom. God has given us great technology, great ability. Just don't buy into the isolation trap that nobody loves you, nobody cares for you, and you can't do anything because you can all right? And so church, I want to challenge you to do that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. I thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I, I hope uh, that God has spoken to you, and I, I cannot wait for the next three weeks as we learn more about God's presence with us in this valley. He is not just the God of the mountain. He is God of the valley. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is true. We receive it today, and we choose to live in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bye.